for that. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, and we're going to do all we can to finish up what we started last time we were together. Um, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 deals with marriage. And Paul deals with marriage and tells us about what marriage should be for three different groups of people. Now, if you remember, last time we were together, we looked at verses 1 through 11. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the first 11 verses, he's talking about marriage that happens, you know, between a married person, or excuse me, a Christian and another Christian, when two Christians are married. And then that's the first group of people. And then the second group of people we find in verses 12 through 24. And he talks about there marriage between a Christian and a non-Christian. For adding in, in their prostitution, you know, there in that temple. So this city uh, was a very wicked place. In Corinth, fornication was not um, just seen as, as, a, as a day-to-day activity, but it was, it was also used as a way of worship in pagan false religions to demonic gods. Amen, gods, and I mean little g. And so... Dr. J. Vernon McGee says that Corinth could have told America a whole lot about sex. But then he went on to say, America knows enough already, and I believe that to be true. But Corinth even took all of that a step further with the worship of Aphrodite there in that city. And that's what we need to know if we're going to really get down to the bottom of why Paul said what he said here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Now, we looked last time that we were together concerning uh, on marriage, concerning uh, a Christian and a Christian. That's in the first 11 verses. Now, tonight, let's start with verse number 12, and we're going to talk about what he says when marriage is between a Christian and a non-Christian. So let's look there. Verse number 12, I want to read through verse number 24, then we'll come back and unpack this as far as we can. Look what it says. But to the rest, speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now ye are ye but now are they holy. Verse fifteen. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk and so ordain in all the churches. Is any man called being uncircumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision, let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Now look at verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called, being a servant? Care not for that. Uh, but if thou mayest, be made free to use it. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also... He that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price, be, but ye, be ye not servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called 
therein abide with God. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the opportunity and privilege you've given us to be a part uh, of your work. Thank you, Lord, for each and every person that is here. And I'm praying, Lord, that you give us clear direction from your scripture as to what you want in our lives. Lord, we know that your word is relevant, and we need this tonight. And we're asking that you would have your way and will in this place. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. It, all, it never ceases to amaze me just how real and relevant God's Word is. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I've already told you about the wicked culture of the city of Corinth and how that it was sex crazed. Now, folks, would you also agree tonight that we live in a, in a culture right here in America that is sex crazed? There's no doubt about that. In Corinth, fornication was uh, celebrated. Adultery meant nothing. Marriage meant little, and divorce was just something that you did. Well, that can be and should be said of the America that we live in today. And so what was relevant for them when Paul wrote it all those many years ago in Corinth is also relevant for us tonight. Now, you said, Brother, why would you say that? Well, I believe we live in a culture that's the same or pretty much the same as Corinth when you've got shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette that actually celebrate fornication, that's exactly what it does. I never thought I would see the day in America where there'd be trash on TV like swapping wives. You ever saw that? It's on your TV all the time. It's actually a show where wives swap households. Now, folks, that implies a whole lot more than what's being shown on the screen. So let me tell you something. We're living in a place today that is just as bad, if not worse, than the Corinth that Paul was writing to. And so we need to take note of what God's Word is saying because it applies to the culture in which we live right here in the United States of America. And it applies to a lot of other places too. But all I can speak to is where we are. Amen? And I want to encourage you, if, if you see that trash on your television at home, don't leave it there. Don't let your children think that that mess is normal because it shouldn't be. Especially not with God-fearing, Christ-honoring uh, parents that are trying to raise up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. Don't allow that stuff in your home. That's not what God wants. Let's not glorify what God hates. And so he makes it plain that, um, listen, God is still holy, and marriage still means something. Um, if you don't believe people believe today that divorce is just something you do, let me tell you what happened to me at my workplace just a few days ago. I had a man who was really just trying to get under my skin. Sometimes they'll do that to a, to a pastor, to a preacher. And he said something like this. He said he was talking about his wife and he was going on and on about what was going on in their home and what they were arguing about. And he looked at me with that little smirk on his face and he said, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about just trading her in on a, on a newer model, on a younger model. He said, what do you think about that, preacher? And I thought, well, since you asked, <laughs> I believe I'll tell you. And so I told him, I said, well, let me tell you what I think about that. What I think about that is that you made a commitment to that woman when you married her. 
But more important than that, not only did you make a commitment to her, but you made a commitment to the Lord himself. And so now you've entered into a triune covenant between you, your wife, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And God sees that as a very, very important, powerful thing. That's a big deal to the Lord. And furthermore, what God tells you you should do as a husband is love your wife as Christ loves the church. And what I fear for you, what I fear for your wife, and what I fear for your family is that you're going to miss out on God's best for your marriage and for your family because you are not practicing and applying God's truth to your life. And he said, well, I was just kidding. And I said, well, I'm not. We're to take marriage seriously. God takes it extremely seriously. We're to take the relationships that we enter into seriously because God does. And that's what Paul is dealing with right here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Now, again, in verse number 12, he starts talking about marriage between a Christian and a non-Christian. Now, let me tell you, first of all, what he is saying. What's happened here is that many of these early Christians in the church at Corinth have been saved out of paganism. They've been um, born again by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus, and they're now made a part of the church of the living God. Amen? I'm so glad that God is still in the saving business to all who trust in Jesus. That's what happened for many of them. Now, maybe what has happened, what I believe has happened, what Paul um, is referring to, is that maybe there was a, a man, a husband, who got saved out of paganism. He has trusted in Jesus by grace through faith. He's been born again into the family of God, but his wife has not made yet made the decision to become a Christian. Or maybe there's a wife who has been born again by grace through faith in Jesus, but her husband has not yet made the decision to become a follower of Christ. It's not that you had a Christian who has married a non-believer, but it's two non-believers who got married and then later one of them has become a Christian. Let me tell you why I say that, why that is a very important point that we need to make. Because you need to understand if you are a child of God and choose to marry a non-believer, you are walking in disobedience to the Word of God. God has never commanded a believer to marry a non-believer. You say, no, brother, how do you know that? Well, I know that because of what God's Word tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, 39. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 39. Look how plain the Bible teaches. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in what? So what's he saying? If a husband dies and leaves a wife as a widow, then what she can do if she chooses is to marry again because she's no longer bound 
to her husband. But when she marries, she must marry in the Lord. She must marry somebody who is also, who has also placed their faith in Jesus. I tell this to my children all the time. I try to stress this point that they have never been commanded in the word of God to marry an unbeliever. Matter of fact, when they come home and say that they've got a new girlfriend or a boyfriend, that's the first question I ask them and they give me one of these. Yeah, yeah, dad. Yeah, that's what you always say. I, and I say, I say that for good reason. I don't want you to miss out on God's best for your life because you choose to marry someone who don't love Jesus, who is not following Jesus. And I always make it extremely clear to them. First of all, don't just trust what they say. They may say that they love Jesus. They may say they've been born again. What you need to do is not listen to what their lips say, but look at what their life produces. Because Jesus said, a good tree will bear what? Good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. It don't matter a whole lot what somebody says. It matters what they do. And so I stress to them, make sure you see a relationship with Jesus being lived out in their everyday life. And if you don't see that, run for the hills. And I'm telling anybody who's unmarried here tonight the same thing. Drop them like a hot potato and leave them alone. Oh, but Brother Israel, I can change him. And I can change her. And I just feel like God would want me to change him or change her. Wrong. It's not what God says. He don't say it right there in 1 Corinthians 7.39. He don't say it in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Let's look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 14. Watch what the scripture tells us. I love this. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? That's about as plain as, your nose on the, as the nose on my face, ain't it? What's he saying? If they're not a believer... Don't waste time with them because it's going to cause you more heartache on down the road because what happens? I've seen it over and over and over again. First of all, you make a physical connection with a person, uh, whoever it may be, uh, and then that physical connection turns into an emotional connection and before long that emotional connection will turn into a sexual connection and then you've got connected to a person who is not a believer and you've went so far now it's hard to turn back. And you get there really quickly. And as a pastor, I've seen the effects of that years on down the road. I was a woman's pastor for about nine years down at a church where I was previously at. I'm telling you, one of the most loving, faithful, hard-working women of God I've ever been around in my life. Loved Jesus with all her heart and wanted to serve the Lord with everything she had. Had two boys that I'm telling you, she brought them to church every time the doors were open. Anytime we had anything going on with the youth, she had them there. She realized the importance of leading her children to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for her. I wish I had 55 more just like her. I'm telling you, Loved the Lord with everything in her. But the only problem was she had a husband who was cynical and mean-spirited and did everything he possibly could to keep her from being plugged into her local church. 
And he would tell me as much. I visited him several times. He wanted nothing to do with the church, the things of God, Christianity. Didn't believe in Jesus and he wanted you to know it. And that lady struggled to serve the Lord and raise her children the whole time I knew her. And I don't know what's happened since then, but I have prayed many, many, many times for her relationship with the Lord that she would remain faithful and for her husband to be born again. I'm just saying, if she would have never made the decision to marry an unbeliever, that wouldn't have taken place. And that's what the Bible is warning against. Now I know people will say, well, I can change them. You'll never do it. God don't want you to do it. Do you know that? That's why we've got 1 Corinthians 7, 39 and 2 Corinthians 6, 14. You'll never change him or change her for two reasons. Number one is behavior. When you start dating a person, let me tell you this. I tell my kids this. Look deep before you leap. Because when you begin dating a person, and the first date, they're going to be on the best behavior they're ever going to be on. But the longer you spend with them, the worse that behavior is going to become. Because they think they can get away with a bunch. And believe you me, when you get married, that ain't going to get better. That's going to get a lot worse. There should be some wives that say amen to that. Yours ain't here. Yeah. Husbands too. It's just what happens. As we grow more comfortable, the real us comes out. Right? And if the real you's not following Jesus, you're not going to be a good husband or a good wife. You'll never change them. They're on the best behavior they'll ever be on in the dating period. I promise you. Number two, you can't change them. Why? Because of belief. You can't believe enough for someone else to become a child of God. It's about their personal relationship with Jesus, and it's about your personal relationship with Jesus. My belief can't save my wife, and my wife's belief can't save me. Listen, it has to be God doing the work in that person's life that only he can do, but before God will do that, that person, as an act of their own free will and volition, must allow God to do so. You'll never change him. You'll never change her. Don't make a physical connection that turns into an emotional connection because really what happens, we can become physically attracted with someone, we go out on a date, we get emotionally attached, that emotional attachment turns into a sexual connection and before long, you've went so far it's hard to turn back. Don't let it happen. Paul is not saying that an unbeliever or excuse me, a believer has somehow married an unbeliever and now what to do about it. He's saying that two unbelievers, one of them's got saved and the other one has not yet got saved. How do you deal with that? Because evidently, some of these Christians were asking, now that I've got saved and my husband's still worship, worshiping other gods, false gods, what do I do? Do I divorce him? Or the wife is saying, I've got saved, or excuse me, the husband is saying, I've got saved and my wife is still worship, worshiping false gods. Do I divorce her now that I'm a child of God? So Paul says, no. Stay in the marriage. 
Stay in the marriage. For what reason? Well, let's look. Verse number 12 and 13. But to the rest I speak, not the Lord. Now, what he means by that, Jesus never dealt with this discussion. The Lord never brought, up, brought this up. Why? He has never asked the question. Why else? He was dealing with Jews. He was speaking to Jews when he talked about marriage. So what Jesus didn't bring up in the Gospels, God the Holy Spirit gave to Paul in 1 Corinthians. Amen? Now watch. Watch what he says. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she pleased to dwell with him, let her stay. If she wants to stay, let her stay. And then he says in the next verse, if there is a wife that has a husband that don't believe, and he wants to stay, what do you do? Let him stay. Let him stay. For what reason? So that the believer in the home, whether it be the husband or the wife, listen to me, might create an environment where that non-believer wants what the believer has. <laughs> Praise God. That's how it's supposed to operate. Look at verse 15. He, or excuse me, uh, Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Now, when it says sanctified here, it doesn't mean, again, that my faith can save my wife or my wife's faith can save me. What it's saying is you're creating an environment as you live out your faith that they may want what you've got. Amen. You're actually, by your faith, setting the, 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 the home apart. Listen to me now. The, the, the non-believer, whether it be a husband or a wife, and the children, you're setting them apart for God to do a work that only God can do. And you're doing that as you're following Christ through your conduct. Amen. A great testimony of that, one of my favorite, comes from uh, Lee Strobel. If you've never heard of Lee Strobel, get to know him. He wrote a book called Case for Christ. And then there was a movie made about it. And whether you watch the movie or read the book, both of them are fantastic. You're going to see that in the beginning, Lee Strobel and his wife were unbelievers when they got married. Shortly after they were married, Lee Strobel's wife got saved. I'm telling you, this woman was on fire for Jesus. And she was living out her faith in the home. And as she was living out her faith, he began to see the difference. He began to see the peace that passes all understanding in her life. He began to see the joy of the Lord. He began to see how God was changing everything about her, the decisions and choices she made. Amen? How she lived on a day-to-day -day basis. And he didn't understand it. And she kept after him. Won't you come to church with me? Come and hear what the, the pastor's saying. And he never would go. And so finally one day he gave in. He goes to the church. And not long after he kept coming back with her. Guess what? Lee Strobel also got saved. At the time when he got saved, he was a professing atheist. But he knew God had just done a supernatural work in his heart and life. And so listen to me, folks. I want you to get this. He went about doing everything he could to learn everything he could about Jesus. That was actually before he got saved. He, he actually set out to disprove what his wife believed. And so he done all the research he possibly could on the resurrection. And he found out it was true. Him being a journalist himself done a lot of research on what was written at the time of Christ concerning the resurrection, 
And he came to the realization, you know what? What she believes is true. It's right. And he also believed. Praise the Lord. But it all started when he had a wife who was living out her faith in front of him. Peter talks a lot about this in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 3, verses 1 through 6. Watch how he puts it. 1 Peter 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. Now, what's he mean? If you've got a husband who's not yet trusted in Jesus, he don't obey the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. See, the truth is, if you're here tonight and you've got a husband that don't know Jesus or you've got a wife who don't know Jesus, whatever the case may be, that husband or that wife may not come and hear Brother Israel. They probably don't care what I got to say. A lot of them don't. They may not listen to me. They may let what I say go in one ear and out the other, but I'll tell you who they will listen to, the person they love the most, the person who loves them, and the person they know the most. If they know you're real at home, if they know it's real by how you live at home, when nobody else is watching, that is the greatest testimony you can have. So Peter says, they can actually come to Jesus by your conversation, your lifestyle. Amen? So if they want to stay, let them stay. And as they stay, live out your faith. Verse 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Watch what he says. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. We live in a society where adultery is accepted, fornication is accepted, and many times it's actually celebrated, where divorce means nothing. But when we look to the Word of God, God says, I'm still against adultery, I'm still against fornication, and I'm going to give you grounds for divorce. I'm going to set the bar, but I'm going to set the bar pretty high. See, the state of Alabama may recognize a no-fault divorce, but God doesn't. He takes it very seriously. Now, what does God say about divorce? Well, number one, Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 19, and if you will put this on the screen. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number one. Let's just start there. We'll look at the first nine verses. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now I want you to look what the Lord does. Pay close attention. He answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now what is Jesus doing right here? See, what I hear over and over and over again from the LGBTQ whatever letter we've got today, because they keep adding to it, and I, it's hard for me to keep up. But whatever letter we've added recently, however that goes, I keep hearing, well, Jesus never said anything about homosexual relationships. Jesus never talked, talked about that. I beg to differ. He talks a whole lot about it right here in Matthew 19. And when he's talking about 
a marital relationship, which is the only sexual relationship God recognizes. Amen? When he's talking about it, he talks about it in context with Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And he says, you remember what was written in the beginning. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the Bible says that God created male and female. Male and female created he, them. So what did God create as far as gender is concerned? Male and female. What have we adhered to in 6,000 years of, of recorded history up to this point? Male and female. What do we have on earth right now? Male and female. I've got a news flash for you. Only women can give birth to babies. Why? I never thought, I, I never dreamed there would be a day where you had to say that. But, and the reason I say it, just last week, a law professor from UC Berkeley out in California who is head of the law department, got into a debate with a U.S. senator because the senator asked her what she meant by birthing person. She wrote in her memo that she had written, birthing person. They were in a debate over, you know, the Supreme Court um, overruling or overturning Roe versus Wade. And in... The, the, the letter that she wrote, she said birthing person. He said, by birthing person, do you mean a woman? And so she just goes off the rails then. She's like, well, just by you saying that phrase, that tells me that you are transphobic. And he said, how am I transphobic by saying that a woman gives birth? She said, Does it, isn't it true that only women can give birth? And she would never concede that point. When you get to that place, I don't even know how to talk to you. We are no longer having a logical argument. We are no longer dealing with facts. Far from it. However, that's the world we live in. So don't you think it's important that we look at Matthew chapter 19? When Jesus, talking about relationships of a sexual nature, when Jesus is talking about marriage, he brings up the point, remember the beginning. Now, if Jesus quotes from Genesis 1 and 2, don't you think the Son of God and God the Son, the Word made flesh, is, is revealing to everybody He believes what Genesis 1 and 2 says? And if Jesus believes what Genesis 1 and 2 says, I believe it too. So yeah, He said a whole lot about the gender issue. He said a whole lot in just about six verses. It's amazing how He can say a whole lot in six verses more than I can ever say, but I heard uh, Mark, Mark Twain said something. He said that, how do you put it? Brevity, brevity is evidence of intelligence. If you can be brief and still make your point, you're pretty intelligent. Well, Jesus is extremely intelligent because he summed up the whole argument in six verses. And what he says is, remember the beginning God created male and female. Verse 5, watch. And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his... A woman. That's what a wife is. A man and a woman. Again, I never dreamed we'd have to keep talking about it, but we must. 
People need to know that. Boy, don't our kids need to know this? Because they are being lambasted with this junk everywhere they look. Now, let me tell you what I fear. It is hard for our brains to figure out the difference between that which is familiar and that which is true. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you always hear something over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, it becomes very familiar. And sometimes it's hard for us to differentiate or tell the difference between that which is familiar and true just because we've heard something a lot. Now, if our kids are hearing it in music and they're hearing it at school and they're hearing it on social media and they're hearing it all over the TV and they're hearing that every day, seven days a week and all we're getting to tell them is what we're giving on Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, folks, it is very dangerous that they will mistaken what is familiar for what is true. Are you getting me? So it's so important that we keep sharing what thus says the Lord. Jesus said, that's, that's a different message for a different day I know, but I just had to say it, right? Jesus said male and female created he them. And then he said in verse six, this is a good one, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So what's Jesus saying? He's serious about marriage. So then they, they grill him a little bit. Verse 7. They said to him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. He said, This is really wasn't God's plan. God did not want divorce. That wasn't God wanted. God wanted one man, one woman for a lifetime. Now let me tell you something. What is divorce? Divorce is sin. Guess what God does by his grace? He forgives sin. Amen. Amen. He forgives my sin. He forgives your sin. And all of it's by His grace. But we've got to be real here. And He says, watch. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth what? Adultery. So according to Jesus, what are grounds for divorce? Adultery. It's a physical relationship, therefore it can be broken by physical means. And he says, if, if uh, one party has committed adultery, then you have grounds for divorce. The bar, there is a bar, but the bar is high. And he says, that's the bar, adultery. Now, also, Paul is saying, I believe in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if you've got an unbelieving spouse who wants to abandon the marriage, let them go. Is that not what he said? If they want to go, and you've done everything you can to work it out and to give them truth and to live out your faith in front of them, and they still want to go and they don't want to be a part of it, then let them go because you are not responsible for holding that home together. God's called you to peace. What's another ground for divorce? Death. According to 1 Corinthians 7.39. If your husband or your wife dies, you are free of that commitment. Isn't that what it told us? Dr. James Dobson says that 
and, and remember me telling you, whenever we started, uh, I think 1 Corinthians 6 a few weeks ago, that God, that the Bible is not necessarily a list or a rule book or a list of do's and don'ts. It's not really a rule book, but a book of principles. Right? It's not going to give you what to do about every situation you face. However, it does give you principles that you can and should build your life upon. It's true, adultery is grounds for divorce. It's true, I believe, according to 1 Corinthians 7, 15, abandonment of the marriage is, is grounds for divorce. It's true, death, you know, frees you of your commitment. But let me give you another one. Dr. James Dobson says this, and I agree with him. He said abuse. Abuse. See, as a pastor, I've counseled with a whole lot of married couples. And on occasion, I have counseled with a couple where abuse is present in the marriage. And it can go both ways. From a husband to a wife or to, from a wife to a husband. And I've said on many occasions, if you feel threatened your life is threatened by what's going on, leave them and don't look back. I believe we can stand on the principle, listen to me now, that God does not want you to live in that mess and to live in fear at all times. I think it's good to be done with that. Now, you say, well, Brother Israel, where's your scripture? I'm going to be honest. I can't give you scripture on that. But I think the principle we can stand on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, should we do everything we can to save a marriage? Yes. Is it important to God? Yes. Should it be important to us? Yes. 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 What we need to do is find out what God says marriage is and apply and practice that in our life. That's what we need to do. And I promise you when you do that, God will bless it. I promise you he will. If you'll put his word to work, it'll work in your life. It will. Do everything we can to save marriage because it's important to God in order to be important to us. But we also got to look at what God's word says about the high bar divorce. Right? I didn't get nowhere near where I wanted to get. But I'm just telling you. Some of this stuff is bothering me. I don't want my kids growing up in the world that I see. How about you? Or my grandkids. Or my great grandkids. My goodness. We have got to stand for truth. And who, or if we don't, who is? We've got to. We've got to teach them what's right and what thus says the Lord. Speaking of that, in two weeks, I told you I was going to do this a while back and I just felt led to go in a different direction. But in two weeks, when we get back from Costa Rica, I want to preach to you on the subject of homosexuality. We're going to talk about what's all over the news right now, the LGBTQ plus movement, all of that. 
And we're going to see what God's Word says about all of it. A lot of what we talked about tonight, we're going to take it a little further. And see how God feels about it, truly feels about it. You know, and um, then that's going to be on Sunday morning. And then on Sunday night, I want to share with you a resource that I've gotten from the American Family Association that I know is going to bless your socks off. It's going to help you. It was a help to me, and I know it'll be a help to you. Truly will. And I want to encourage you to invite somebody to come be with you. Okay? And listen, folks. Let's get a hold of God's truth and apply it to our lives and apply it to the world we live in. And live out our faith. Not using the Word of God as a club. I never want to do that. I'm not going to do that because I realize the grace of God. Amen. And I know the same grace that has saved me can save others. However, I do want to speak the truth in love. So we're going to do that in about two weeks. Pray for me. I'm going to be praying for you. Remember every morning at 9 o'clock we pray one for another. And um, anybody got anything else?